everyone. Welcome to the Soulful Eclectic. I'm your host, Diana Collins, and I want to welcome you back to those who have been here and have listened to past episodes. I want to thank you for coming back. And for those who are new and just started listening, thank you for giving me some of your time and also giving my guests some of your time because they appreciate it as well as they share a part of themselves with with the tribe, right? So thank you, thank you, thank you. And I just want to welcome you guys back and show my appreciation and give you guys all love. So today, our episode is actually going to be with Jermaine Shoulders, who is an entrepreneur of all sorts. He is a fellow Brooklyn Knight, so big up to Brooklyn, right? And also, he is a screenwriter. And I had the pleasure of meeting him auditioning. I was auditioning for a play of his called Shades of Violence. And so it's not out yet, so don't go looking for it. We're just in the making of it. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. But I want to introduce you to Jermaine because just conversation with him during that audition I tell you guys, I'm an empath and I'm all about the energy that I feel with people and the energy that he had. It was so positive and he's trying to do so much for the community, with the community and just hearing how he came up with Shades of Violence and the work he did to um, make it authentic was astounding. So with that, I invited him to be on the podcast and by me inviting him to the podcast, I not, by no means had a part in his um, show and his play at all. It was just me going off the conversation that we had. And then um, later on, a couple of weeks down the road, he reached out to me and said, you know, I would like to have you as um, playing the role in the, that I auditioned for. So I was like, what? No way. So I will be in his uh, feature screenplay shades of violence so that that's something great but yeah so I want to introduce you to Jermaine Shoulders. I have Mr. Jermaine Shoulders which I am so happy to talk to because it's like talking to an old friend from the block honestly um, which is really cool that is dope I don't know absolutely right um and it is weird because we we talked and yeah well yeah anyway so it's a pleasure it's a pleasure absolutely absolutely um so mr jermaine shoulders is a screenwriter right did you like fall into that um we met i'm a a screenwriter um and director producer and former actor see wow there you go and we met because I went to audition for him and we had such a great conversation that I couldn't let it just end there. So, um, Absolutely. no, and it's funny cause I, I asked you to come on the podcast like way before anything. It's like, I just need you to come on my podcast because we have great conversation. You have something to say. I want the community to hear it. So let's just do it. So, I'm glad to be here. Thanks. Um, thank you so much um, for inviting me. Um, and I really appreciate it. Um, and thank you for coming out to audition for me as well for the project. Um, it's going to be a heavy hitter. Um, 
that I cast you for um, is very pivotal. Um, and I can't wait for your audience to see it, my audience to see it, and the world to, to see it. Um, yeah, and I am so blessed to be a part of it. And I mean, honestly, when I got your email, I was in uh, one of my acting classes because, you know, you got to keep your sharpen your skill, right? You never. So I was in one of my classes and actually that class had a casting director coming in to view us and which was really cool. Um, But I saw your email because I again, I multitask with everything that I do. Don't I I don't know why. So I'm looking at my email and I'm like, holy shit, I got it. Oh, okay, All right. So, Absolutely. so I, I, I do want to tell you, I was really um, proud to be a part of that because I really felt that that was something that speaks to me, to my soul, to my, to everything that I'm about as a person, as a healthcare practitioner, and just as being part of the black and brown community. So um, I'm just proud to even be a part of it. And I, I want to put it out there, guys. He agreed to be on the podcast before he casted me, so nah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Once I done the research on you as well, I said, "Oh yeah, absolutely." See, absolutely. Yeah, well, I'm glad. Thank you. So, tell me about you because I know there are so many parts to you, even just from us off. Um, off having conversation, you know, you're from Brooklyn, which I think that's amazing because, you know, a fellow Brooklynite, I rarely get to meet one. And (laughs) to actually have someone understand and know what it is that I I am talking about is mind blowing because people like, oh, you're from Brooklyn. Oh, that part, huh? Like, whatever. (laughs) Whatever. Right. Right. So tell me how you got on this journey of being your authentic self, leading you to where you are today. Absolutely. Um, once again, thanks again for having me. Um, yeah, this is a, it's a long journey. It's a long journey, um, as, as all good journeys are. Um, started out, you know, my mother was a country girl. Um, Left, uh, left the South in the early 70s. Um, uh, hit Brooklyn, New York, East New York, as a matter of fact. Um, and here I come. Um, born in Kings County Hospital. Um, lived in Brooklyn, lived in different parts of Brooklyn in my child, in my early, early childhood. Um, uh, Flatbush and East New York. Spent a lot of time in East New York um, in the pink houses up and down um, Linden Boulevard as a child. Um, at age five or so, um, had a little situation in Brooklyn. Someone broke into our apartment over on Parkford and Bedside. Um, I live at Bedford and Parkside. Um, and right on the corner, there's a building there. With a little, used to be a uh, uh, elementary school, a daycare. Um, but it's now, the last time I saw it, it was a uh, some kind of community center. Um, but yeah, um, so we left there. We left uh, Brooklyn after that. Uh, my mother met a guy and we moved to uh, the Bronx. Mm. So I was raised 
from age five to um, he left New York City um, in the Bronx, in the sound reception of the Bronx. So, you know, I was that kid that spent time on the trains, and, you know, time in the park. And Lucky you. Student, you know, um, <laughs> but yeah, I lived a double life. And here's where the journey started. Mm. Um, one day I was looking at TV. And I was fascinated with television as a child, like most of us were. TV raised us in the 80s. Um, mm-hmm. Some of us, because we were latchkey kids. Right. Um, you know, we were what we call latchkey kids. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. For those of you, for those who don't know what a latchkey kid is, it's those kids whose mom said, take the key, you take your behind straight home. Once you get in the house, you lock the door behind you. Don't answer the door. Don't answer my phone. Do your homework. Eat lunch. And I'll see you when I get home. <laughs> yep. Yep. And you were all of seven, eight years old. Exactly. So, yeah. So, luckily in my neighborhood, the schools were right there. So, my mother felt more comfortable. Um, and she always said I had good sense. So, she didn't worry about me too much. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't see it, but she saw it. So, okay, mom. <laughs> but, um, so, the double life started, man. But I, I told her one day, I said, you know, I was watching... Uh, um, a, a television movie and it had a bunch of kids in it. Don't if you don't know if you remember, it was called Bugsy Malone. Yes. Uh, Scott Zayo and when they were all children and they were reacting this mobster movie. Yes. And and um, you know, shooting each other with pop guns and stuff like that. You know, kid stuff. And I was just the end the ending really got me because everybody at the end they were singing some song um, looking at the camera singing and just being kids and I said I turned to my mother I said I'm going to do that I want to be on TV too and she looked at me she said are you serious are you, are you really want to and I said yeah mm-hmm. so a couple weeks later she came home with uh, telling me that I'm going to go to this modeling school which also has uh, a department to teach you how to act and do uh, auditions and commercials I was oh. like alright cool so I was about 10 or 11 um, did that. Um, it was Barbizon, actually. Yeah, I remember uh, Barbizon. I had a couple of friends yeah, who yeah, went to Barbizon. That's right. That was another New York staple. Mm-hmm. Um, went to Barbizon. Did the modeling thing. Didn't like it too much. Um, but the commercial and TV thing really got me. So did that. Did the auditions. Um, did pretty well. Um, nothing really came of it until my mother came home one day and said, I found a school for you to go to. I was like, all right, cool. But it was more than a school. She she said it was a school, but it was, actually was it was a, a children's theater company. Nice. Um, and the theater company um, was straight up um, old school. Um, they basically treated us. I got my my wish. The movie with the kids. Yeah. And how they was playing out the monsters. Well, we did. I did. I, I got the opportunity to do that wow. on the stage. Wow. Um, so um, we were. I was guided and taught by the legendary um, Rosetta Rosetta Renoir, yes, who was the grandmother on the Family Matters TV show uh, mm-hmm. in the nineties. In the eighties, I knew her um, as Miss Rosetta. Um, she walked with a cane, and that cane had thunder in it. Um, and so, yeah, she whipped us us kids from all over the city. Um, into shape and she taught us how to be performers and I got real ongoing training on the on my theater stage um, in, the, in the early 80s so I got to perform we did the full regalia the 
cup, the, the months of rehearsal, the dance training. We were all triple threats. Um, if anyone out there who knows what triple threat is, sing, dance, and, and act. Wow. Um, yes, your boys can sing as well. Mm. Uh, but we all did that. Um, and I got, that was the best time of my life. Um, I got that real grounded, really training. And I didn't realize it until I hit Hollywood in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, so fast forward, you know, I'm, I'm a kid on the block. I go to school, hang out with my friends. Got a deadly jump shot on the basketball court. But on Saturdays, I'm going off, you know, in the mornings to go train and, you know, perform on the weekends and do all of this crazy stuff mm-hmm. that my friends had no idea about. I never, I never told anyone. Um, only my neighbors, once they started seeing me going in and out, um, and then they started joining as well, which I didn't actually like, but that's right. another story. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> they tell you about that in Hollywood and never bring your friends. They get the parts and, you know, and you don't. Yep. But um, no, I, was, I was a star. So at that time, I was leading all the plays. I always had the big roles. Um, I was the one who, you know, uh, performing in every show. Um, what we did, we did four performances. Where we had an A and B cast. It was that many kids. So it was split up into two casts. Um, two leads, you know, and all the way down. Wow. Um, so I always was the lead. There were no two leads, you know. Um, I was the lead. So I performed all four shows. Um, and out of that, uh, we had, you know, um, people come see us. And, um, an agent got in contact with my mother, and I actually went to go read for an agent. I got an agent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and within... A few months of, of being with an, with an agent, I, got, I landed my first professional gig, which was a Kentucky Fried, Kentucky Fried Chicken uh, commercial. <laughs> um, yes. I recorded it at age 13. Um, it came out when I was about 15 during the 84 Olympics. Mm. Um, in Los, 88, 88 Olympics in uh, Los Angeles. That's when it started airing. In that two-year period, it was local bonus uh, local. Mm-hmm. So I would give, you know, small checks, you know, two hundred, three hundred dollars, because it was just local. But you know, some commercials hit, and once a commercial hits a certain level of uh, notoriety, mm-hmm. it goes national. Um, and once it goes national, that's when the big money starts rolling. And mm-hmm. so, as a high schooler, I was walking around with a bunch of money in my pocket. <laughs> I was well dressed, you know. But I got a chance to perform, and, and you know, and at that time, I really got the desire to. That's when I saw I was different as well, Diana, to be honest with you. Okay. Because during that process, you know, I was maturing, you know, from the, the high-pitched voice at age 12, 13, and my voice was changing, things mm-hmm. like that, insecurities. But, I, you know, I discovered that I was different than anybody else because I had um, one thing that a lot of people didn't have, which was um, just the knowledge of knowing that that's where I was supposed to be because I was always a quiet kid. You know, mm-hmm. I was the quiet kid, you know, with my friends, you know, I was always, you know, quiet and germane, this, that, and the third. But once I hit the stage, I just opened up. Um, and, you know, I improved in school, actually, because of it. Um, wow. I improved as a speaker. Mm-hmm. Um, I improved um, with confidence. Like, I lost the ability to be ashamed. <laughs> I lost the ability to be afraid. See? I lost the ability to be nervous. Um so all of that um, at that age. So um, fast forward um, to the early 90s, um, we moved to Los Angeles. Um, and my agent contacted my agent in LA, so that was a that was a no brainer. Um, immediately started working. Then for four months, uh, my first 
first job in Los Angeles was on America's Most Wanted. And that was a very popular show at that time. Yes. Um, with the reenactments. So mm-hmm. did that. Um, a lot of famous people came out of that. Taryn Turner and others. Taryn Turner went on to play uh, in, uh, uh, what was that? It was a gangster movie. Uh, but it was um, a classic film done by the uh, the twins. Brothers that are twins, uh, Minister Society. Ah. He was a star. He was a star in the Minister Society. Well, he was in that episode of. Uh, so I got to know him back then. Um, so yeah, fast forward. I was doing a bunch of sitcoms, commercials, um, did a television movie with Fred Savage, the kid from Wonder Years, mm-hmm. and uh, 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 what was that? The other white guy that's uh, he just got in trouble for something that he did. I can't think of it. Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey. So he was, he was in that as well. And Ellen Bernstein. So I got to work with some heavyweights as an 18-year-old. Um, so that's what I did for a while. Um, television, commercial, television, commercial. Um, got to get really good in with the black casting directors mm-hmm. and some of the screen, some of the writers um, at on the sitcoms. Um, so when Hollywood started to fade away for me in my early 20s, 22, 23, um, I had had a child, my oldest daughter. I'm still with the mom today. We're married. Um, so you're talking 94. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my last professional gig on Thea um, when Brandy was just getting started in the industry. Um, mm-hmm. I was ending my, my time in the industry after having been in it since 1982. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I... That, at that point, you know, real life took over, um, and you know, I had to I put it away, put the acting away for a while, and picked up the pen. Right, um, you had to readjust. That was, yeah, that was. I had to readjust because um, here's when you know, when you know that you know, it wouldn't let me go. Mm. No matter how many jobs I had, no matter the struggles I had in the early days with my then girlfriend, now wife being a young couple trying to raise a child, um, the bite of wanting to be in the industry never left me. She mm-hmm. was with me um, during those days when I was auditioning, running around. I was on Beverly Hills now, 2.0. I was on all these different shows. She was with me during those days, so she saw me, you know, hustle and grind mm-hmm. um, back then. Um, <laughs> I picked up the pen one day because I said, you know what? It won't leave me alone, so maybe this is something I can do. And then I, I, I recalled that I've been writing since I was nine years old. I actually did a comic book that got me an A on a project in the fourth grade um, that I threw together in like two days. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was the story. I couldn't draw to save my life, but it was the story that my teacher really liked. And I got an A+. Plus. It was creative. I actually made it. I, you know, nice. You know, kids today don't make stuff. I actually made it. You know, I cut it out of cardboard, cut the paper, made it just look, just like a comic book. Mm-hmm. And um, I gave it to my teacher. <laughs> that wasn't even a project. It was something totally different. But that's what I gave it. Uh, and I got an A on it. So I realized I was doing that since then. And some friends I went to high school with reminded me as well, you know, in the Bronx, and at Stevenson High School. Um, we would have a writing contest, man. You know, remember that? We used to, we used to see people write the best, you know. And I always won. And it was just paragraphs, you know, that we would write and trade amongst each other. And we would, we would um, vote on who wrote. And these are kids from the projects, and we're, we're having writing, you know. So, you know, we did that, and I didn't realize that until I came back to my recollection. So I said, I think I could do this. 
So I did it real simple. I just, because I've been in the industry so long, I knew what scripts looked like. Um, and because I had relationships, getting scripts was, was not a problem. So I would get a script, um, mm -hmm. sit down and just imitate what I saw. Um, and imitate what I saw. I would watch episodes incessantly. You know, in those days, you would watch the repeats, and yes. I would watch the repeats, and I would watch the repeat, you know, over and over and over again. And you had VHS, so you would record, and then I would just watch the entire season of a, of a show that I liked, and then use the format that I saw, not knowing what I was doing at the time, just using the format <laughs> that I saw, and then apply the story to it. And, you know, at the time that my girlfriend read it, she was like, this is really good. And I'm like, okay, well, yeah, you don't know. So, why don't y'all trust our going. opinion? Well, you know what? Because she knew nothing about the industry. You know, <laughs> she was a teenager still. You know, so it was like, okay, yeah, all right. But I was like, uh, yeah. So I was okay. <laughs> I just kept going and kept practicing, kept practicing. I bought myself a raceable typewriter and just kept doing it and um, kept doing it. And I wind up banging out about seven what they call scripts on speculation mm -hmm. uh, in about a six-week period because I was just writing back to back to back to back um, and just churning these things out as I saw them. Mm -hmm. And I actually got pretty good at it. Um, and a couple of them got me at a few meetings. Um, I actually did an episode. I wrote a, a spec script for Martin when it was really popular. Mm -hmm. um, and this is when I started to believe her, I guess. And she was like, this is really good. You should really try. Uh, okay, I will. So I, I did. And um, so happens here's where relationships come in. Um, everybody in the audience. Um, relationships are very important. Mm -hmm. um, and things in Hollywood happen sometimes when you put that energy out there. And I was beaming with energy at the time. I was 21, 22. I didn't want to work customer service uh, anymore. Right. I, I wanted to be a television writer. I, I made it up in my mind. I wanted to be a television writer. This is what I'm going to do to do it. I researched the process, but I've always been the type of person to try to circumvent the process okay. by using my my God-given wits and abilities, um, which is not always productive. Sometimes you need to go through the process, yeah. um, which I'll figure it out later. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I did it, man. Um, my mother happened to live in a building right near Universal Studios um, at the time. One of her neighbors but at the time, she didn't know this guy from Adam, but, you know, they struck up a conversation in an elevator, and he told her that he was the first cousin of Mark, mm. and that um, he works on the show, um, and that, you know, and she's like, oh, my son writes, and she told him about me, and he was like, well, you know, if he got something, let me see it. So uh, I took advantage of that, and then I, I ran with it. Right. And because, once again, I had relationships, I was able to get onto the studio a lot. And at that time, pre-terrorist stuff, um, it was a lot easier, you know, to do certain things. You know, I used to pretend I was a student at UCLA, a screenwriting student, to get scripts, you know. <laughs> you know, just being creative, and, you know. So, That's a real hustle for real. <laughs> oh, man. Let me tell you, you know, I was going around with my toddler at the time, you know, on my lap, on the bus, you know, going to meetings, you know, and saying, please forgive me. I have my daughter, my girlfriend's on school. She's finishing up, you know, so, you know, just, I'll tell you, it 
So if it's allowed to be quiet, you know, <laughs> can we just do this? You know, so that that's what I was on. Um, and that energy kind of reverberated out there, I'm assuming. So, you know, long story short, I got a meeting with the executive producer of the show through that relationship with uh, this guy. Um, me and him hit it off real, real cool. Um, he was a D.C. guy, so another East Coast cat, and there were a lot of D.C. people, all the people from D.C. Um, so um, that was a very helpful, you know, just like you and I vibe, you vibe, you know, I have a, a, an ability to do that. And as East Coasters, that's what we do. Because mm-hmm. we believe in relationships. We believe in community. We operate on that. Yes. And people don't understand that. You know what I'm saying? We walk to a different beat, and people don't understand that. Our, yes. our that city, at least in the 80s, when I went back in 09, not so much anymore, but no. at least in, in, in the 80s and in the 90s, it, it, the energy was so palpable, you could feel it as you're descending in the airplane. Yes. On in the JFK, all of Wadia. Yes. That's how much the city reverberated with energy. Yes. And it was all creative. Yes. So we did that. We, we loved on each other in a way that, you know, we still have friends. You know, the, the guys I went to kindergarten with when I moved to the Bronx, I'm still friends with today. Mm-hmm. So you talk, and these guys have all moved on to have great lives. Um, and, you know, we're still friends today, you know, and you can't say that, no. you know, about, you know, this generation, things like that. But back to my, back to my <laughs> um, story. Like, we could digress on that for di- for hours. <laughs> right, right, right. And I don't want to do that for the audience's sake. But, um, yeah, so that's what I did. I got my hustle on, got my grind on, got a meeting with uh, executive producer Martin. Um, and he straight up told me to my face, there are people who, he said, we have, a, he said, I'm going to tell you like this, man, we have lawsuits up the butt. So make sure that this is protected. I said, everything is, I got it, WGA protected, I'm good. And he was like, all right, now I'm not going to make any promises, you know, the Hollywood stuff. Uh, we chatted. Um, nothing came out of it, but I got to meet him, and that was the important thing. He thought enough of me, mm-hmm. executive producer, the head guy on the television show. He don't, the EP just don't sit down with anybody. No. You know, I'm a cat off the street, you know. This is just, hey, this guy can write, but the guy who wrote, read the script, Sean, he really liked it, and he passed it on to the EP, and they were they were buddies, and that's how things happen. So, um, and none came out of it, but um, at the end of the season of that year of Martin, um, I realized I was ripped off on some of my material, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, because and, I, and it didn't upset me, because he used a few of my lines and one of my storylines. Mm. <laughs> so, that gave me encouragement, because I said, hey, that means I am good because they actually used a line that I had written that Tashina Arnold was to say, Pam at the time, and the storyline uh, that they used um, to end the season. And I thought that was awesome. I was like, man, I'm good. I'm good, you know. And at the time, my girlfriend was pregnant, and I remember watching the show, and I just jumped up and yelled and pointed at the TV screen. They used my ish. They use my ish. That's my ish. That's my ish. And she's, you know, about to pop. She's eight months and about to go. And she's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, no, no, they use my stuff. Remember that line I said, blah, blah, blah. And I showed her the script. And she was like, oh, wow. So, you know, but that gave me confidence. It didn't. It actually didn't uh, discourage me at all. So, 
Mm-hmm. Everybody out there, you know, don't get discouraged. I just, I just kept right. I kept going. I kept going. Right, because um, that's that was your empowerment. It was like validation for what it is that you were doing, and it empowered you to keep going. Absolutely. Even as a 22-year-old, you know, I asked, hey, man, I could do this. So um, I just kept going. Yeah, I had to work the menial job to take care of the family, you know, but I always managed to find time to, you know, develop my craft. And that's when I started doing the reading and the learning, you know, the study. And then that's when I figured out, oh, I made the, the cardinal sin that a, a, a new writer should never make in Hollywood at the time. Never write for the show that you want to write for. I wanted to be on the staff of Martin. But I needed to come with a script from Frazier or Roseanne or mm. Fresh Prince. Or, and I wrote specs for each one of those shows um, at the time. I wrote uh, a ton of them. And I still got them today. I got them in the binder. Um, and, you know, so that was a cardinal mistake. But, you know, once I realized that, I was like, oh, okay, okay. So, you know, once again, I didn't get discouraged. I applied for writing. Um programs at the time they were doing this diversity stuff with uh cbs and warner brothers and for three years in a row i was denied from all the programs mm. <clears throat> now that discouraged me a little bit but i kept writing so i started looking at dramas um, and at the time new york on the cover was really popular so yeah. um <clears throat> i wrote a popular i wrote an episode of that um in the late 90s early 2000s um as my second son came, and then my daughter came, um, that's when David E. Kelly was running the show with all of those dramas um, that he had on TV, Boston Public. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it was another one that he had uh, that was really popular. He had two shows, two, three shows on TV at the time. <clears throat> so I wrote an episode for Boston Public, and I just started writing a bunch of dramas, The Shield, things like that, and writing. But then I started creating original sitcoms at that time as well um, for myself, you know, to see if I could write my own show. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that. And in the year 2000, I looked at my <clears throat> then wife, you know, wife at the time. I said, uh, you know what? Technology is changing. Things are evolving. And I said, uh, they're, they're talking about a 500-channel world in, in 10 years. Yeah. And mind you, this is the year 2000. I said, I told her, I looked her square in the eye, I said, I'm going to get me one of those 500 channels. I'm going to get one. Um, and I told her that. And uh, still haven't got it yet, but I'm almost there. That's all right. But, um, yeah, but she believes in me now because, you know, you know, this time has passed. and I put the pen down after a while. You know, I did get discouraged. Life really took a toll on us. We moved to Arizona, and things really took a dump um, for about, six or seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went about that, that time frame without writing a thing. Um, I may have written a poem here or there because um, I was doing that as well. But yeah, I pretty much stopped. Um, we lost our house in California um, during that housing crash. Mm-hmm. Um, that family issues going on, external family issues um, going on that was affecting the household. So a whole bunch of stuff started happening and I just put the pen down. You know, so I can't do this. I can't. How can I dedicate time to writing when I got all this going on? So I had to put it down. I put it down. I didn't have to, but I did put it down for a while. Um, and then we moved to Arizona. And um, <clears throat> this was 08. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beginning of 08. Um, at the time, I was back in 
to the uh, paralegal. So we moved out here. I finished school back in California. I, I left my family out here for a few months by themselves while I was finishing school, mm-hmm. my last leg of school. And, uh, myself, firmly established in uh, 08, June of 08, when I got my degree in paralegal studies and then um, looked to, you know, just move up in the corporate world. I was like, let me do this corporate thing, you know. I can, you know, I can do it. Like, yeah, I guess I can. Yeah, you know, God bless me with the ability to, you know, be analytical and, and think and I can operate in any sphere. I knew that about myself, but my heart wasn't there. So, you know, I found myself in situations where I was like, I had to pick up my performance. I had to do certain things. I'm like, because, you know, my heart wasn't there. The bite to be a writer, a performer, still didn't leave me. Hmm. It would not let go. And true story, the play that I had you read for was the first full-length script I had written since 2000, I would say five, mm-hmm. maybe earlier than that. And I wrote this in 2013. Wow. And yeah, yeah. So but- a lot of what you read, if you read the script, mm-hmm. still, I've rewritten it a couple times because I, I took some storylines out in and out, but a lot of what um, I see it says fourth draft. <laughs> the original, <laughs> the original. You know, um, yeah, I, I came in. I, I had moved a bunch of storylines around. I, I added a teen storyline and I added a male storyline, mm-hmm. and I took them both out. And I, you know, I was doing certain things, and this is just the format that seemed to fit for me the best. And uh, it was actually, I was actually commissioned to write it. Actually, because at the time I was working at Chase Bank, I was out of the law. I was out of the legal industry after being in the legal industry for about eight, nine years. Um, now I'm in the mortgage field um, doing that. And um, my manager at the time um, was a victim of domestic violence. And she, which is the story of the play, and she had her own organization. And the name of the organization is the title of the play. And I was like, okay, she... He was asking around if people she wanted to do a play um, to boost her organization. And I think her daughter at the time said, hey, uh, um, Jermaine said he can write. You know, I think, you know, we sat next to each other, you know, at the cubicle. We <laughs> <laughs> got to know that, you know, the cubicle life. Yeah. Um, so, and which I hated. But, uh, you know, so she told her and she was asking me to do it. And I was like, well, yeah, all right, yeah. You know, I didn't tell her I had been years and years and years, but mm-hmm. I was like, well, yeah, 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 I bet. So I did. I want to thank Jermaine for sharing um, his authentic self with the Soulful Tribe. Uh, it's just wonderful to hear how he started and how he stuck to his guns and his gut to be out there in the industry, the art, the, the entertainment industry and the, the struggles, the hurdles that he had to overcome to make it where he wanted to be. And he's still doing it. It's a journey. And that's what I want to put out there. Everything that is of worthwhile to us and anything that we're going to be a sex success within is going to be a struggle. 
is going to be some peaks and valleys within your attaining that success. And with that, your level of perseverance and tenacity is going to be what drives you to continue on as you're being shut down, as your doors are being closed, as things are being taken away from you, as you are having conflict within your relationships at home with your spouses, with your children. It is just one of those things that if it's what you want and you believe in yourself and you have someone that is strong on your back helping you, you know what? You put your all in it and you just keep digging and you keep digging. And I appreciate Jermaine for that and for showing his tenacity because not only are those of us in the industry seeing it, but you know what? His family is seeing it. His kids are seeing it. And that speaks volumes to the human being that he is. So thank you, Jermaine. I appreciate you. And I appreciate the opportunity to work with you both on camera and off camera. And I look forward to many, many more. So um, with that, I'm going to end this part of the episode because you know what? Like I said, we talked for hours. We talked for like two hours. So this is just part one of Jermaine's shoulders. And then um, we got, I think, two more parts. I think it's two more parts I broke this up to. So there's three parts to Jermaine's story. So um, just keep an ear out and I will definitely post when the next ones come up. But you know, I'm here every Tuesday and Friday with a new episode. So please join us and, uh, oh, excuse me, join me and my special guests as I have them. But if you need to reach out to me or if you have any questions about any of the guests that I've had on the show or just general questions about me, the health, your health, whatever, please feel free to reach out. My email is dc at thesoulfuleclectic.com. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, that's DC Soulful Eclectic. You can find me on Instagram, the.soulfuleclectic.com. And also, um, I have a special group as well, the Soulful Eclectic, which is a Facebook group too. But um, yeah, definitely reach out and I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for joining myself and Jermaine as he tell his story of being his authentic self. And please feel free to share your feedback and also rate the podcast. Um, and also subscribe. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I look forward to hearing from you. Send in love and light your way. And please check on each other, your friends and family. Um, a hello. I love you. And how are you goes a long way. Namaste.